You're listening to the From the Hack Curling Podcast, part of the Curling News and Sports Illustrated Partnership. Hi everyone, my name is Frank Rock and welcome to the latest episode of the From the Hack Curling Podcast. This week my guest includes three members of the three-time Scottish Champions Team Anderson, with Skip Kerry Anderson, second Shannon Burchard, and coach Reed Carruthers joining me to discuss the 2022 Scotties in Thunder Bay. And then I am joined by Kim Tuck, one of the more respected voices in the Canadian mixed doubles community, who joined me to discuss the mixed doubles competition at the Beijing Olympics and what it could mean for mixed doubles in Canada. My first guest this week is becoming a bit of a from-the-hack regular. Carrie Anderson joins us a few days after leading her team of Val Sweeting, Shannon Burchard, and Brianne Maillard to a third consecutive Scotties title in Thunder Bay. Well, Carrie, I guess the obvious first question for you is how does it feel to be a three-time Scotties champion? It's so surreal. Like, um, it hasn't fully sunken in yet. Um, to uh, call yourself uh, national champion one, that's pretty special. But to do it three times... Wow, it's uh, definitely an accomplishment and something I will never forget. So, Carrie, your team had not played in an event together since the end of the Olympic trials about two months ago. Yet it looked like you had not skipped a beat going undefeated until the seeding game versus Team New Brunswick in Thunder Bay. Yeah, we just got on off to a really good start. And um, when you do that, you just kind of start rolling and feeling it. And uh, we were getting good reads on the ice and really liking the ice. And the speeds were fantastic. And, you know, like that really helps uh, with the confidence as well going into a game. Um, and uh, just mapping out that sheet. And, you know, we just felt um, we felt like a new team out there. And uh, we, we really brought it this week. I'm very proud of the girls. Now, an old curling insider once told me that every team has a hiccup at the Scotties and Briar, and it is a simply a matter of timing that hiccup right and not letting it impact your team for more than one or two games. Your hiccup at the Scotties seemed to occur in the seeding game versus New Brunswick. In retrospect, Carrie, might that loss have been a good thing for your team, perhaps giving you a reason to reset a little bit and refocus before the start of the page playoffs? Yeah, we definitely weren't playing extremely bad that game. We're just on the wrong side of the inch with some shots. And uh, that was kind of like the story of our season. (laughs) And, um, you know, we just kind of parked it. We talked about it, parked it, and we knew our backs were against the wall. We had to come out shooting against the, in our next three games, we played flurry and we, uh, we came out and we brought our A game. We got down early, but we never, ever gave up and we kept uh, getting our rocks in some good spots and really controlling, uh, controlling the front. Now, usually when Team Canada is competing in a final at the Scotties, there are plenty of people in the crowd cheering for them. That wasn't the case in Thunder Bay, Carrie, where the limited crowd was clearly cheering for your opponents, Team McCarville, who were the hometown team at this year's Scotties. What, if anything, did your team do to prepare for playing in front of a crowd that was going to be in the other team's corner the whole game? Yeah, we uh, we definitely knew that the crowd was going to be on their side, but we did have some fans there, and they did cheer for good shots, which was nice to hear. And... Um, we just kind of had to dial that out and just park it and uh, just focus on ourselves and create our own energy like we have been all week. And um, we just kind of, we made sure to get hammer off the start. We had two really great draws and um, made sure to score first. And uh, um, that kind of just set the tone for the game. 
And when we uh, got up on them, uh, the fans got a little quiet. But in the eighth end, we made it a little interesting. And uh, I was a little nervous. But um, we held them to their deuce. And then we scored a nine. And um, we didn't leave her much of a shot on her last to to get two. So, um, yeah, we were just, uh, we we embraced it. And uh, it was just nice to hear people on the stands again. Now, Carrie, as you just referred to briefly in their last answer, you've developed quite a habit of making things interesting late in the Scotties final over the past three years. Was there a part of you that was thinking, oh, no, not again in the eighth end of the championship final? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, not again, Carrie. Like, why do you have to put this stress on yourself? <laughs> but um, we just um, stuck with it. Like, the girls, they just dragged that rock um, we knew that they couldn't get more than three. Um, we, we figured two max. Um, so, um, we, uh, we didn't let that, uh, that little hiccup bother us. And the next end, we, we made basically all our shots and we just wanted to score. We were, uh, we were in a good spot if we were two up coming home without, and we actually haven't had hammer before, um, coming we've always had hammers so it it was a different uh different type of a final and uh not uh being in control on the way home but uh with the two-point lead uh we felt uh we felt safe now carrie which one of your teammates is most likely to chat with you and try to refocus you after a difficult miss like that definitely val val is like there if there's a shot that i want back she's like it's all good carrie or it's all good we're in control let's uh just keep going and uh keep making shots and um and that's what we did the next end uh, i know uh, brianne was a little hard on herself in the one end where she uh, missed her ticks but uh we we also said to her don't worry brianne you're gonna make them when they count and she did uh she made them in the ninth so um we definitely just always pick each other up. Every every single one of us, uh, we have each other's backs out there, and uh, that is definitely key to our success. And um, just always laughing and smiling, and you know, uh, if someone needs a little pick me up, just um, giving them that extra pat on the back or saying some keywords to them, and uh, that's what we we all do for each other. To be fair, Carrie, it had been an up-and-down season for your team prior to your arrival in Thunder Bay, including the disappointment at the trials in Saskatoon. How proud are you of you and the team and your ability to park what had been a difficult season and bring your A-game to the Scotties in Thunder Bay? Oh, I'm so proud of my teammates. Um, yeah, our season wasn't the best. Um, we got off to a decent start, and then in the middle of the season, we, it was kind of a bit of a slump. Um, I definitely think... Um, making like when Heather decided to um, stay home and uh, uh, we brought on Reed, he definitely brought a different um, perspective to the game and uh, brought his uh, good energy and um, changed things up and kept things light for us as well. So um, he did a great job coaching us and um, just yeah, so proud of my team. They, they fight so hard and they play so hard and, you know, we give it our all out there. What you see is that's how we are. Um, even off ice, um, we work extremely hard off ice. Um, it, that's in the gym and um, practicing and, uh, and also spending our time with our families too. It's uh, um, definitely been a challenging time over the last few years and difficult, but um, we've made the best of it. 
Now, the World Championships will be a full circle moment of sorts for you and the team. I, I remember exchanging messages with you, Kerry, a few hours after the 2020 Worlds in Prince George had been cancelled because of the pandemic and how disappointed you were at the time. That being said, how excited are you to finally head to Prince George and represent Canada at a World Championship? Uh, that's pretty awesome. When we found out it was in Prince George and I was like, this might be meant to be. <laughs> we might get our shot at uh, um, wearing the maple leaf in uh, Prince George. So uh, let's go out there, girls, and give it our all and get back to Prince George where it all was supposed to start. So uh, definitely uh, getting that opportunity again. Um, as many times as you can get uh, that experience of wearing the maple leaf on your back, uh, the better and better you get. So um I think this uh, this time around, we'll uh, um, we know what to expect, and we will be giving it our all out there. Now, Carrie, your team had quite the grind at the Worlds last year in uh, or last spring in Calgary. What did you learn at that event that might serve you well this year in Prince George? I definitely learned that yeah, it's the world is hard to play against. Uh, they've been there at numerous times, which that was our very first and. Um, maybe the pressure did get to us a bit. We we didn't think it did, but it must have like, you know, it's uh, and it's tough uh, being in the bubble for that long of a period and not having your family and friends there to support you, even though you're only a couple provinces away. Um, that was uh, challenging for us. So we're hoping this year there's going to be some fans in the stands and uh, we can feed off of that and really embrace it. Um, and you know, we're we're very resilient. We we don't give up. We just uh, keep giving it our all, and uh, that's what makes our team so special. My next guest is Shannon Burchard, also of Team Anderson, who won a fourth career Scotties title in Thunder Bay in just four appearances. Well, Shannon, you're now four for four at the Scotties, including three in a row with Team Anderson. How does it feel to have continued that streak again this year? Um, yeah, I think it's just pretty un unbelievable. And, um, like I said, it's nowhere, nowhere in my mind that I think that I would be right here right now, four times Scotty's champ, um, at this age, um, and to have done it three years in a row with the same team is, um, super impressive. Uh, so I think I'm in a little bit of dis belief um in sense and it's super exciting and, and i'm so happy that we get to get another chance at the worlds and hopefully improve upon um our record last year now to be fair shannon it's been an up and down season for your team heading into the scotties including a disappointing result at the canadian trials how did your team go about processing that disappointment in saskatoon and park it in time to play so well in thunder bay to defend your scotties title yeah, I think um, a little bit for like speaking for myself personally in terms of getting over that, um, I was able to reconcile with it a little bit easier just knowing that um, I didn't play my best that week. Um, and I think as a team, we can all agree that it wasn't our best week. We weren't super consistent. We had really great games, some really awesome shots. And then we had some games that uh, were tough on us. And, um, and so we only made it to the second tiebreaker. We didn't qualify for uh, the semi. And if we had gone all the way to the final, I think it would have been a little bit harder to reconcile with. But uh, knowing that we didn't play our best just told us that, you know, there's a lot more that we can do to better ourselves and to be more prepared 
the next time around. Um, and looking forward and always having that growth mindset also really helps. And just knowing that, you know, there's a lot of year ahead, years ahead of us. And, you know, it, we can't place so much weight on this year, even though we, you know, felt like we had done everything we could um, leading up to this, this trials this year. But uh, yeah, the break was actually kind of nice, even though we had uh, some events that were canceled in January and we're disappointed about that. I think having two months off was actually really good for us. It made us miss curling again and um, made us really excited to be able to get back to Scotty's to wear those Canada jackets and to have the privilege of representing our country once again. Now, I remember chatting with Brianna a week or so after last year's Scotty's, and she shared with me how winded she was early on inside the Calgary bubble because she had played next to no games all of last season. As you just mentioned, your team went almost two months without playing between the trials and this year's Scotty's. Were there any concerns that it might take you a while to find your form, and how quickly did you ladies realize that you were actually feeling it in Thunder Bay at this year's Scotty's? You know, honestly, it was okay. I, I Last year was different in the fact that in Manitoba, we were completely locked down and we didn't have access to gyms or even curling clubs to get on the ice. And so we definitely weren't in peak shape heading into the Scotties last year. Uh, so it did take a couple games to just, you know, get our wind back in a sense. Um, this time around, we were still able to train as much as we could um, at home and practice and, um, still be in the gym and, and keeping up our fitness. So I don't think we missed a beat in that sense. Now, I realize that people have different opinions about the players chosen to be all-stars at events and the way that they pick those teams at the Scotties and the Briar. That said, the fact remains that uh, each member of your team was a first-team all-star in Thunder Bay, and that had to be somewhat satisfying for you and your teammates because it usually means that, at the very least, you've been playing very well all week long. Um, you know, I think it. Um, we're, we were pretty excited about it. I, I don't think in recent history we've seen a full team qualify for the first team all. Yeah, so it was pretty cool. It was, it was also interesting because I don't think any of us were really keeping track of uh, our stats every once in a while. Usually in years prior, everyone peaks at how they're doing throughout the week. And I don't think anybody had that on their mind this week. We were all just really enjoying the moment out on the ice. And obviously it translated into some good numbers. And and yeah, we were able to grab those first team All-Stars awards. Your team lost your only game uh, of the week at the Scotties uh, in the seeding game versus New Brunswick, Shannon. And I, I was wondering if perhaps that loss served your team well in the end, even if it may have put your backs up against the wall and, and put you in must-win situations earlier than you may have liked. Yeah, I don't think we were that far off that game. I think um, we got ourselves into a little bit of trouble, had a couple of execution areas when we were you know, sliding deep, and uh, the New Brunswick team really made us pay by... Um, freezing in there and and making our our lives a little bit more difficult and unfortunately we weren't able to get out of some of those situations and so kudos to them like they played a great game against us and um, yeah definitely lit a fire under our butts and we knew that we had our backs against the wall Uh, we learned a ton from that game and we just took all of that moving forward and, you know, left that game in the past and knew that, you know, we, we still were in it and there was 
nothing to be upset about at that point. And all we could do was try to reset and um, make the next one, make the next shot. Now, it seems to happen with your team in each of your Scotties finals, uh, Shannon. Uh, things got very interesting late in the game. I'm wondering if there was a part of you that was thinking, oh, geez, not this again in the middle of that eighth end of the championship final. Uh, well, I was definitely nervous in that eighth end. Um, it did not look good. Um, and Krista had a shot for, from my eyes, it looked like almost four, uh, but uh, Carrie was telling me it was for three, which still wouldn't have been great on our end. And, um, you know, fortunately it was only a deuce in the end, but that definitely got me a little bit more nervous. Um, up until that point in the game, I was feeling pretty comfortable with where the team was at. And, uh, and that, uh, put things into perspective a little bit that, um, team Northern Ontario was not out of it and they were going to hold on until the very last shot and so we had to just keep pushing and I mean in nine um we did have to kind of go for that gamble and it was so close whether that rock was going to be in or not so I think we made the right choice in just sticking around and um seeing we forgot the two and we got we ended up just with the one which was fine going up to it into the last end as a situation anybody would be happy with but uh yeah Team Northern Ontario, they played amazing, and um, they definitely made us work for it out there. So Now, the World Championship will be a full-circle moment of sorts for you and the team, Shannon. You ladies were in Prince George preparing for the 2020 Worlds when the event was cancelled due to the pandemic. How pumped are you to be returning to Prince George to finally play in a World Championship in that city? Yeah, we're super excited. Um, it's going to be a little bit of deja vu getting there, and I don't know if we're going to be put up in the same hotel or not, but uh, yeah, I think we're just going to be crossing our fingers and hoping everything goes smoothly until we can actually start the event. And, um, you know, hopefully there can be fans. We uh, would love to be the home team with, you know, Canadian fans in the stands cheering us on. I think that's something we've all dreamed of and unfortunately haven't necessarily had. And we... Yeah, we're just excited to go back, and it's a little bit fortuitous that we're going back to Prince George, and and can't wait to start. And finally, Shannon, I think it's fair to say that last year's Worlds was a bit of a grind for you and the team. What did you learn at last year's Worlds in Calgary that will serve you well in Prince George? Um, I think the biggest thing is just not to look too far ahead. Uh, we definitely kind of learned that the hard way last year where we dug ourselves into a pretty deep hole and had to just keep slugging away one at a time. And eventually we, we, uh, righted the ship and, uh, were able to qualify. Um, but I think another thing is just to not put so much pressure on ourselves. I think we took on a little bit too much last year and, uh, with, you know, trying to qualify Canada for the Olympics and all of that. And, and this year, I think we can just go in, know what to expect. Um, everybody, Every one of us have not how played at the championship. We know the, you know, physical demands. It's quite demanding two games a day for, you know, almost 10 days. Um, so we know what to expect. We know how to pace ourselves a little bit more. And we know um, that emotionally we can make it through because last year was pretty tough. And we definitely came out on the, on the good side of that. So... My third guest this week is Reed Carruthers, who stepped in for Heather Nedowin and coached Team Anderson to a third straight Scotties title. Reed and I also discussed the Olympic Mixed Doubles competition and the Men's Olympic event. 
So, Reed, how did it feel to see the team that you were coaching in Thunder Bay at the Scotties come away with their third consecutive Scotties championship? Yeah, well, it was um, it was a wild ride. Like um, the emotions that I was feeling uh, on the bench trying to help the girls, um, nerve wracking to say the least. Like I, I've never coached at that level. So uh, for me, you know, I just. You know, it, it was different. It's, it's something I, 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 I really enjoyed my experience, and and I am really looking forward to the worlds. But yeah, it was it was something new for me. Like the there's a it was a different kind of pressure, and it was it was really cool. Now, I've often heard elite athletes who end up coaching a team say that playing in important games is a lot less stressful than coaching in one. Is that how you experienced the Scotties finals this year, Reed? Were you uh, at a point where you would have much rather been on the ice competing than having to watch your team compete in the most important game of the week? Uh, like I guess from like a nerve standpoint, uh, maybe. But you know, these girls, uh, I'm yeah, I'm really glad with the four that we had on the ice. Like they, uh, oh, did they bring it this week? Um, on on off the ice, it was just like it was just such a great co- collaborative team effort. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I'm just super proud of proud of them uh for parking you know the trials disappointment and then putting on a performance like that it's pretty special now you obviously knew these ladies way before coaching them read uh before coaching them at the scotties that is but i'm wondering if anything about them and about their team and about their approach surprised you now that you found yourself inside their inner circle at the scotties for an extended period of time um yeah i don't know if like there's anything that really surprised me like i you know, you don't you don't become like a national champion and even a two time national champion by fluke. Like they're such a hardworking team, and I've been watching, uh, I guess from a distance, watching the team. You know, the last couple of years and in their progress and and whatnot. So, I, I wouldn't say there was any real surprises. Um, the biggest thing was just like how much trust that they threw my way was was I guess the biggest surprise to me. Um, you know, they they were all in um they're up for trying new things and even looking at approaching things maybe slightly differently than what they've used to uh used to do in in years past and i just feel like we put together a really good almost like a hybrid approach where we took some of the things that you know i've done in my men's career and for how we approach games and ends and 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 how they have in past and the product was uh something pretty cool so Team Anderson really did not have their first hiccup at this year's Scotties until their seeding game versus Team Crawford of New Brunswick. How did you go about helping the team process that loss, which came at a critical time after they'd been playing so well all week? Yeah, well, you know, and we had, we'd been tested in some of our other games uh, for sure. Um, a couple of the games were closer than we would have liked. Uh, but, you know, even like the, the game against Manitoba, our last round Robin game, we found ourselves down 5-1 but you know they were super positive uh and stayed with it you know trusted trusted the process we had 10 ends to try to battle back and put lots of pressure on on team manitoba uh and you know we got some breaks and made some real good shots to finish off that game and i think like the game versus new brunswick our, our first game in in the, i guess it's almost like the seeding first round of playoffs there um you know, we, we didn't get off to a great start. And that was kind of one of the things that, you know, we were we were trying to watch for. And, you know, we had a good first end. But, you know, the second end, maybe we played a little bit too aggressive uh, against a good team and, and, you know, gave up another steal. And 
then we kind of started to force the issue a little bit. And, and I think that was one of the things that, um, you know, I, I think like we analyzed and talked about debriefed quite a bit about, you know, those two games in particular. And, um, you know, we took a little bit different approach in, in the actual playoffs. We were a little more patient and, and I feel like we finished, finished the games fairly strong. So, um, you know, it, it helped with our success overall. Now, Reed, I want to talk to you a little bit about the mixed doubles event at the Olympics in Beijing, where Rachel Holman and Joanne Morris came a couple of millimeters short of reaching the playoffs. I remember you and Joanne Courtney competing at the World Championships in 2017 and having to go deep into the playoffs to secure a spot to pardon me to secure a spot for Canada at the 2018 Olympics. How heavy does a maple leaf on your back feel when there is so much on the line in a sport where the expectations placed on Canadian athletes are so high? You know, like, I, I guess, like, with playing those big events, it's not all about that moment in particular uh, that you're in. You know, it's it's about the preparation, you know, the hard work that you put in going into the event. And um, when I was with, with Joanne at, at that mixed event, uh, you know, we, we weren't off to a great start. But, you know, we, were, we relied on our support staff. Uh, Stoughton and Paul Webster had a huge uh, role in, in helping us get to, you know, the podium, um, you know, they were, they were seeing things on the ice that, you know, when you're in the, in the moment that we weren't really catching. And, and I think that they, they helped get us to the, to the spot that we were. And, and I feel like, you know, sometimes that can happen when you're in the moment, you know, you start to lose a little bit of the focus, like, you know, the just strictly trying to make, you know, and mix doubles, five shots and end or eight shots and end in, in curling, but just, you know, trying to throw and make shots. So, you know, we had, little blemishes throughout the week this week with uh with team canada at the scotties and uh you know some of my in-between ends um chats with them was just trying to get them back focused on you know just trying to broom weight broom weight you know and throwing throwing to make shots and um you know i feel like the girls responded well you know there was a couple things that i picked up on um with the ice um that helped you know help their confidence for what they were seeing, reinforce what they were seeing. And, and overall it was, it was just, it was good. You know, like uh, we relied on each other to be successful. It wasn't uh, there's no eye out there in, in the team. It was, it was a full team, full team effort. And the girls were, were real positive throughout the whole process. Now, given the limited amount of time that Rachel and John had to prepare for the Olympics, uh, Reed, the, the debate over whether the Olympic trials should be moved to the spring prior to the Olympics has been reignited. What are your thoughts on the timing of the trials, be it for mixed doubles or men's and women's? Yeah, like I think there's pros and cons to each. You know, there's there's the, the idea that, you know, the team that, that wins late, um, you know, can ride that momentum, um, you know, if, if the trials are, are close to the Olympics. You know, that is one thought process that, that I know um, people look at or, you know, when you look at look at this process, um, you know, so that is one pro. Uh, at the same time, you know, I, I don't know, I don't understand that pressure of, of what it's like to be at the Olympics. And obviously with John and Rachel finding out like really last minute that they were the team that was going to be selected, uh, you know, they didn't have a whole lot of time to prepare. Um you know, and just, just that alone, you know, what's happened with, with what happened with the mixed, unfortunately, you know, it was probably a, a little bit late for them to get that preparation in. Uh, so, you know, could that have been held in the spring? Uh, logistically, I'm not sure. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, 
it's all hearsay at this point. Like I, I don't, I don't really know what, what the correct answer is. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if Curl Canada decides to maybe switch it up going into next year's quad. There are a handful of teams that you are very familiar with currently competing in the men's event at the Olympics in Beijing. What are you expecting from that competition, Reed? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I can't, can't wait for it to get going, to be honest. Like from a, from a curling fan standpoint, I, th- I think the competition is going to be electric, to say the least. Um, it's hard to pick a favorite. I'm, I'm obviously cheering for team Gushu. They're, they're such a strong team and I know they're very prepared, uh, for this event. You know, they've been working hard for a long time at the game and they do a lot of things really well, um, on and off the ice as far as approach goes. So like, I think, I think they'll, they're going to do really well. Are they going to win? I'm, I'm not sure just, just based on the fact that, you know, some of those world teams that you mentioned are, are such strong teams and have proven that, you know, year after year, especially this quad, uh, you know, you have a, a Scottish team uh, now that's, you know, top two in the world kind of consistently um, throughout the last couple of years here. So uh, with Bruce's team, you know, Nicholas's team is always strong. Uh, the crews, uh, yeah, even like Schuster, like they're, they're a great team. We haven't seen a whole lot of them lately. They've been they've been you know, kind of keeping it close to home. But I you know I know know them well. I know they're going to be uh, tough to beat as well. But uh, you know I'm going full Canadiana, and I'm I'm really hoping that uh, Gushu can pull it off. It'd be something special to watch. And finally, Reed, you are in rarefied air now. There have not been too many people that have won a Briar and coach a team to a Scotty's title, and even fewer that have added a Canadian mixed doubles title along the way. How proud are you of that accomplishment? Oh, yeah, uh, super special. Um, yeah, honored to be, like, among the list of even the players that have, you know, coached at a Scotty's and won, uh, as well as winning a Briar. Like, that's that's a pretty cool feat. I know my former former coach is one of them dan carey uh great guy great coach um uh and then yeah to to win the mixed doubles too that's pretty special and i guess like at this point now i guess i'm counting down the days to seniors you know so uh try to get one more my final guest this week is one of the more respected voices in the international mixed doubles community and who also happens to be a former Canadian champion in the discipline. Kim Tug joins me to discuss the mixed doubles at the Beijing Olympics and the performance of the Canadian duo of Rachel Holman and John Morris. Kim, I think that many people are still trying to digest what happened to Rachel Holman and John Morris at the Olympics in Beijing. As someone who has played at the elite level in mixed doubles for many years now, what was your take on the performance of Team Canada in mixed doubles in Beijing? Um, I would say I would make it out to be very frantic is kind of the word I would use to summarize it. Um, I'm sure they're super disappointed uh, with what what transpired. Of course, they would have liked to have been on the podium for sure. Um, But I think uh, just all the things that led up to them being chosen as the team to go just was setting them up for, you know, a huge failure uh, just from the COVID of not running trials and then going through all the hoopla of getting a team picked and then getting on an airplane and getting over there. And and I think just that whole get-go, you know, they were already in a frantic situation leading up to it. And then as they got there and got on the ice, you know, things never seemed to really calm down. Um, they just seemed to be, every game seemed to be such a frantic, frantic whole game. Um, so that's kind of what I 
overall, that's my overall kind of take from the whole week of them. It's just everything just seems so frantic. <laughs> of all their losses, I think the one that most people are pointing to is their game against Australia, where they fell behind 7 nothing in the first half of the game and then had to expand a lot of energy over the second half of the game in an effort to finally tie it before losing in an extra. Now, the Aussies are certainly no pushovers. Johnny Moe would have known that firsthand, seeing as how he spent a lot of time coaching that team. That said, what was your take on that game, Kim? Why did Canada end up falling behind so quickly to a team that only won one more game the whole competition? Well, I think just kind of all of the things that led up to that. I mean, that was a pretty chaotic day, right? Like you go from not expecting to be playing that game to playing that game. Uh, You have a team that hasn't won a game up to that point, which they had a lot of close games. They probably should have had a couple more W's on there than, than what their record showed. But you have a team that basically thought, you know, six hours before that they were supposed to be getting on a plane to go home. And now they're showing up to play. Uh, They handle Switzerland. Uh, They come into that game basically, you know, with a newfound appreciation for actually being in the Olympics because of the fact that they were supposed to be potentially going home. And then just that, you know, urgency of, you know, if we lose this game, um, that puts them much pressure on the next game that we're playing. And the next game we're looking at is a team that's undefeated. So, you know, I think that as the, the um the mountain kind of grew with every point australia was kind of putting on the board i think it just made every single shot uh that rachel and john had to play you know that more that much more important and um you know if you were watching the game at all you know they were doing everything that they could do you know they were sweeping hard out they were calling line they were you know just just it, it was just it could just see it mounting with every end that was passing so yeah no I just I, I think that's a lot of it I, I you know just the whirlwind of what that day actually was um you know I think that played into a lot of it you know I can't imagine being told you know that you're not gonna have to play that game now because you know of, of what had gone on in Australia was going to be you know not being able to finish and then all of a sudden finding out no now you have to play that game so, you know, it's, I think that was a combination of, of, of how it went. And then they just got off to such a rough start. And, you know, being down 7 nothing seems a lot on the scoreboard for sure. But in mixed doubles, you know, I've been there before. <laughs> you're up after the, after the fourth end, you know, by a lot. And then next thing you know, you're playing an extra end. So I think that as they kind of started putting a couple of points on, I mean, Australia made a couple of mistakes to kind of let them off the hook. Um, but I think that just that growing mountain of, of, and that weight of, you know, needing to be on the podium and, and all that kind of stuff. I think even though you're there, you're not supposed to think of that in, in the game. I, I, I don't know how they weren't. So I'm sure that was, um, you know, part of it and part of how, but yeah, just a combination of a whole bunch of things that happened that day for sure. Now, another question that many armchair curlers had regarding Team Canada's participation or their performance, I should say, at this year's Olympic Mixed Doubles event came in their game against Italy, particularly in the 8th end, when they chose to draw and freeze to a rock in the back of the 8-foot rather than trying to hit the Italian rock out, which would have essentially won the game for their team. From your experience as a Mixed Doubles curler, how did you perceive that call by Holman and Morris? Well, I think one of the things to keep in mind, too, is that at the start of the games, um, you know, they might get one or two chances to maybe check that path. 
uh, to see how much it curls, things like that. But most of the time, again, they're still trying to get hammer, right? So all the drawing is still happening to the middle. So you don't get a lot of time in that pregame practice kind of thing to check the wing. And then you don't really play to the wing until it's a power play situation. So, you know, that was a late power play or they're trying to freeze to that one. So it just really could have been um, as simple as the ice had changed um, in relation to what it was going through the middle. And or, you know, Rachel doesn't throw a soft release, so I'm sure it had nothing to do with that. Uh, kind of thing but just that that fact of going to a spot in the ice that they don't normally do she alluded in a lot of her um, interviews or a few of them anyway that the paths were different in some spots and it makes doubles that's tough because you don't have that same up and down um, that you get with four person where you've got multiple people kind of seeing different paths across the sheets Uh, you're really working a few paths and so when you get kind of outside of those lines um, you know, sometimes you do have to guess and, you know, she alluded to, you know, she made some incorrect guesses at something. So, uh, I think it probably just boiled down to that. That was a spot that the ice had just maybe changed and they just didn't get a chance to see that spot. Now in an interview prior to their game against Italy, Rachel was asked what she knew about the Italian team. And her response was not much except for the fact that he is tall. Now she may very well have been joking or perhaps she was being coy. That said, I wonder if the Canadian team's uh, relative lack of experience playing against some of the other top mixed doubles teams in the world may have had an impact on how they prepared for different teams from a strategic perspective. Well, I know you've heard me on multiple occasions talk about how I'd like to see some changes made um, on the home front uh, in relation to how the mixed doubles program kind of works in Canada. And so to be fair, I hadn't really heard of them that much either. Um, I knew they played in the Worlds last year, and I knew that he was the third for the men's Italian team. Um, I didn't know much about her at all. So I can see that they maybe didn't have a ton of intel on them. Um, We actually went back and looked uh, halfway through the week, kind of when they started playing really, like going, still continuing to win. We had gone back and kind of looked, and they only played a couple of mixed doubles events last season. So it's not that they're a mixed doubles team that's played a lot of events. So I don't know that they would have had a lot of information on them. Um, But I mean, honestly, they were playing them last game of the round robin. So you would think there should have been some scouting being done. And potentially, you know, she might have just been like, I'm not going to tell them what we know, right? I'm not going to tell them what I think their their, uh, weaknesses uh, were if there was kind of any to pick out. Because, I mean, they were pretty solid. We watched a lot of their games um, just because of the fact that they were doing so well. And they just, the way they play the game is pretty consistent, pretty solid, pretty calm, um, a good pairing. And I think maybe, you know, they just maybe didn't have that ton of information from them other than what they saw at the event. How impressive was the final shot by Stefania Constantini in the extra end versus Canada, where she drew almost perfectly, leaving Rachel with little more than drawing to the pin to win the game? Well, she made a bunch of those kind of shots. Like, I mean, I look back to the almost triple that she made that was pretty much a game saver you know they Canada was mounting some pressure and and she doesn't make that you know and Canada scores three uh you know that game starts to turn around you see momentum kind of shift a little bit sooner so you know she made a few of those throughout the game for sure but I mean that draw actually came up uh you know three or four inches too heavy if she leaves that just a little bit shorter then Rachel's got to actually move that rock 
um, you know, to try to get shot. So she kind of let her off the hook a little bit by letting it go a little bit deeper uh, to give them some of that room to get to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you always talk about mixed doubles is a, is a game of inches and, and, you know, curling, that's such a cliche term in curling. Uh, but really like, I mean, you miss a shot by an inch in mixed doubles and it can cost you big time. So uh, yeah, to even be able to put it somewhere close, uh, you know, without it being too heavy, like, yeah, that was, that was definitely another game saver and, and, and the pressure on that would have been huge, but um, you're right. Like when you get in the hack, you know, if you've done the proper training leading up to it and your mental, you know, stability or your mental, not stability, but your mental toughness is there. Um, you know, those are the, not the things you're thinking of. You're thinking of line and you're thinking of weight and away you go. But I mean, Rachel in her last shot even took a couple extra pauses to try to be, uh, you know, try to calm herself down. Rachel's not that long in the hack. She doesn't take that much time. So she took an extra few seconds to try to calm herself. I'm sure to try to uh, throw that last shot, which unfortunately uh, didn't go where it needed to go. And, and they lost in the measure, but yeah, I mean, it, I think too, like you have to think about, they could have potentially played Canada in the first game of the, of the playoffs. I mean, if, if you're Italy, you want to take care of them now anyway, you know, you don't want them in the playoffs. You don't want to have to play them again um, kind of thing. So there was a lot on that shot. So yeah, pretty impressive. You know, even though it was a couple inches too heavy, still an impressive shot, you know, to make Rachel have to actually draw cold without moving it. So, so until mixed doubles was added to the Olympic program, which is when most of the traditional curling powers such as Canada started paying real attention to mixed doubles. There were several teams from countries where curling is a, quote-unquote, second or third-tier uh, sport, uh, Kim, that had success at the Worlds. How important was it for the mixed doubles discipline to have a country like Italy win the gold medal, a country where this victory might help expedite participation and growth in the sport of curling? Um, I think it's pretty important to see um, countries that have you know, a specific mixed doubles team in terms of, you know, like you said, they don't have enough curlers to grow a huge curling program, but they've got two curlers that they can train, um, you know, that they can, they can work towards being mixed doubles uh, curlers. I mean, I've always said that mixed doubles is about making shots. So if you can make the shots, you're going to win the game. It doesn't matter, you know, what level in terms of whether you're an elite slam player or whether you're, um, you know, the couple from Italy, like it's just about making shots. So that's one of the most important things, but even looking further at the actual four teams that were left and you've got Norway, whose team, those guys, you, you know, I know he's the fifth for the men's Norwegian team that's there, but they play predominantly mixed doubles. And then you've got, even though uh, you have Eric's in there, um, but you've got Bruce Mowat. I mean, I played Bruce Mowat in 2014 at the World Mixed Doubles. So he's been playing mixed doubles for, you know, several years. It's not something that he just picked up and they just started playing. He's been playing it for a long time. And even some of the other countries like Switzerland, you know, I'm pretty sure they're probably pretty disappointed in their, in their week kind of thing. But, you know, there's enough teams there that are still... Um, you know, strongly into mixed doubles that I'm hoping that that might put a signal out there to, you know, that this can be a sport that people can dedicate to that they can do well at and that they can get themselves to the Olympics and they don't have to be, uh, you know, on that elite squad at any of these big countries. So I think it's important that they won. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion, although I'm just kind of guessing that knowing that the Olympics is going to be in Italy in 2026, that potentially they may have been back back behind closed doors training these guys 
uh, you know, hoping that this might be uh, an experience for them leading into Italy. So, uh, you know, there's things like that, you know, you don't know. I mean, Chani used to do it all the time, right? Like they'd be training and training and training. And then all of a sudden there'd be a team show up and you're like, oh, <laughs> where did you come from kind of thing? So, uh, you know, there might be something else uh, that they've been doing a little bit more than what we know about, but uh, good for them. Uh, happy to see them. Uh, it was a great week of curling. We enjoyed all the games. I uh, definitely feel for John and Rachel. Uh, you know, that's a tough position to be in. Um, but hopefully this will shine some light on things here in Canada and we can make some changes before we head to Italy. And finally, Kim, and thank you for providing me with such a great segue. Every time Canada does not win a medal in curling or in hockey at the Olympics, it seems to create a lot of chatter and a lot of quote-unquote experts opine about what needs to happen to fix curling in Canada. Now, you've been involved in mixed doubles since long before it was an Olympic sport. You represented Canada at the Worlds in 2014, as a matter of fact. What do you think are the key next steps for Curling Canada if they are to put the Canadian mixed doubles reps in 2026 in a better position? position to succeed than they did with Rachel and John in 2022. Well, first of all, I think they need to make a decision about whether they're going to go with elite only in terms of they're only from their high performance players, or if they're actually going to try to build um, mixed doubles curlers and, and, and have some type of uh, base. And if that's what they're going to do, um, then I think, you know, there's a bunch of things that they can be done, but I think the biggest thing is they have to decide what they're going to do. Um, this sitting on the fence for the last eight years, uh, trying to be like, okay, well, we want these guys playing, but we're also going to make it so that everybody else can play so that, you know, nobody yells at us kind of thing. I think they need to kind of you know, for the lack of a better, whatever, shit or get off the pot. Like it's either those guys or it's this way. And if it's going to go down that way, then I think you need to start building something, you know, point systems need to change uh, opportunities for teams to play uh, resources, training, all kinds of things. And, and that's not a us versus them. Um, you know, it, it's just a matter of let's open up the doors to some of these players that want to go down this path and let's give them the tools to be great so that when we do start to put in our Canadian trials and, and our Canadian events and stuff like that, the teams that are competing are all competing from the same kind of background. You know, you don't have people like Wayne and I who can't put the time in, can't, don't have the resources, don't have the things up against somebody like John and Rachel who've got the resources and, you know, have been able to uh, kind of get from, from those things to get to where they are. I think it's just a matter of making a decision and, and, you know, whether they want to go one way or the other, it's just make a call, make a decision, do what you want to do, and then move forward with it. And, and it's just this trying to appease everybody um, is just put everybody in such a bad situation. And and so for me, you know, like I said, there's lots of things that can be done down the road, but I think the decision from them has to be made right away what they're going to do. They can't, they can't try to make both sides happy. It's one way or the other. And that does it for this week's episode of the From the Heck Curling Podcast. A huge thank you to Carrie Anderson, Shannon Burchard, Reed Carruthers, and Kim Tuck for joining me this week. Also, a reminder that our partners in the Curling Podcast Network are the Two Girls in the Game Podcast, the Curling Legends Podcast, and the Rock Logic Podcast. Please go give them a listen. You'll not be disappointed. I'm Frank Rock, and you're listening to the From the Heck Curling Podcast, part of the Curling News and Sports Illustrated Partnership.